Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Key Hire Podcast. Today, we are in Paris in the offices of Spendesk, and we are super excited to sit down with Rodolfo Ardon, who's the CEO and the co-founder of the business. Rod is a graduate of Ecole Polytechnique and Columbia University. Rod has created his first company straight out of the uni. In 2013, he sold Wozaik, his digital advertising startup, to the Soul Local Group, and then took up the role of CEO at Drivey, before getting back to his entrepreneurial roots with eFounders. In 2016, Rod founded Spendesk, the first all-in-one platform to help manage the entire business spending process in one place and free people from the hassle of spending at work. The company offers tools such as company smart cards, invoice tracking, automatic payment categorization, reconciliation, accounting, and so on. Today, the company has been growing exponentially. They have tripled their year-on-year growth rates, gained over 1,500 customers globally, and traced the total funding of 45 million euros, including the recent Series B of 35 million. So we are very excited and interested to be sat here with Rod today to discuss the very beginnings, the growth phase, and what's lying ahead. We talk very candidly and openly about both success, failures, mistakes, and lessons learned. Tune in for very insightful, very candid, very genuine discussion. We hope you're going to enjoy the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Rod. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate your time. I know that you must be very busy right now. I'm very happy too. I'm very happy too. <laughs> so for everyone listening, uh, Rod is the founder and the CEO of Spendesk which to me is a shining star in the scale-up scale ecosystem in Paris. I'm not sure whether we should be talking about startup or scale-up at this stage. I think we are exactly in the between, in start scale. Mm -hmm. You know, startups are more early stage, seeds mm -hmm. up to series A uh, funding yeah. stage. For us, we are uh, yeah, at the beginning of the scale-up phase, so series B, yeah. when we really start to accelerate in terms of growing the team and uh, mm -hmm. uh, international expansion. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of what Spendisk is and what Spendisk does, I actually wanted to ask you, Rod, if you wanted to give us a little bit of an overview. In general, uh, I think if we were to sum up in one sentence, Spendisk is an all-in-one platform for all the business spending, for just really transforming the way that people spend money at work, both for employees and both for the teams as well. Yeah, I think you got it right. We've got a mission which is very simple mm -hmm. to, to understand. We help businesses spend smarter. The, the main pain point that we see is that uh, it's very easy in our private life to spend, to pay for things. It's very hard on the business, uh, on the business perspective. Uh, spending at work, or paying at work is something which is complex, difficult, mm -hmm. uh, with a terrible experience for everyone. It's mm -hmm. like if we were uh, continuing to to do it like it was 1995. Uh, yeah. And uh, and basically what we what we are building we are building a spend management platform for both finance and the employees, mm -hmm. uh, allowing uh, control and visibility across the whole spending process, uh, while employees are autonomous to spend the company money when they need with a beautiful experience for everyone. Mm -hmm. And your story started in 2016, right? So just to recap, I did my homework. Born in 2016, so three years and counting, 
seed round in 2017, right? Two million. Yes, exactly. So we launched our product in June 2016 mm -hmm. and raised our first uh, capital round of seed rounds, mainly with Business Angel. It was in November 2017. Uh -huh. uh, then we, one year after, we raised our Series A with Index Venture coming, coming as the lead investors of 8 million. And mm -hmm. we just announced uh, early September our Series B of 35 million. Yeah. Again, with Index Venture that uh, renewed the, uh, the trust they had in the company. I think that must be very reassuring for you guys. It's obviously one of the leading, uh, leading VC firms in Europe and having invested again and that much, I think it's a, it's a very strong boost in terms of trust and, and just your capability. Exactly, that's that's reassuring, but that's also very, we are very aligned with them and the ambition where we mm -hmm. want to put uh, this company and what we are building together. And that brings, actually a VC, it's uh, it's not often actually that a VC is leading two, two consequent, yeah. two consecutive rounds. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, because that's not their usual business model, Index have done it, not so much, but in three to four companies today, they did it for Revolut. Uh, did it for Datadog and uh, they started uh, doing it with us. So, I, uh, so you're in the big clique with exactly, those names. Exactly. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> so congratulations on that. That's impressive. So it's 45 million roughly in total funding today. Yes. Now in terms of other highlights, the CFO Connect. I think that's quite big with you guys. Something that to me was really impressive in the way that you build trust and credibility in, in your target market effectively but not just by marketing and advertising, but just really creating value to your audience, right? So CFO Connect is, uh, I think the ideal is for it to be a global community, different events, meetups for CFOs, financial professionals, both in Paris, but also Germany, I think, yeah, UK, you guys are really looking at the European landscape here. Yeah, we, we, we went from the, actually it was something which was very important for us at the beginning, understanding we are, we are building and we are uh, part of building the future of what finance team are going to do uh, in, in the future. And for us, it was super important to gather this community, learn with them, share the good practice and starting to invent uh, the future together. And we didn't want to do, you know, uh, having a strategy of building events just for uh, selling our product that most of uh, SaaS companies are doing. We don't think it was our role. Our role was to be an actor on how we are shaping this future of finance with this community. And so we, we, we created a separate brand that is called CFO Connect, which is focused on animating and participating on building this community of financial experts. Mm -hmm. uh, our financial uh, finance people that are, uh, believe in the modernity, believe on how technology is going to change their daily job and how they can adapt to that and what they can build together. So providing all the value so they can learn together to build this future where we are an active uh, participant but not, not the only participant uh, on, this, yeah. uh, on this community. Yeah, absolutely. Has there been any key outcomes for you guys from that community? Has it been any tangible benefits for the business, for perhaps employer brand, for your uh, hiring, for attracting great people? Anything else that can come out that you would recommend for others? Like I think it's important. I mean, when you are when you are innovative and you're 
imagining or building the future of something, uh, you are building the, a new way of doing stuff, right? So what you try to, to optimize for in your organization and in your company is how you can learn as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. And one of the main outcomes of CFO Connect for us as a, a company that is building this pen management software uh, is all the learning we get from the community on the pains they are facing daily and how they imagine the future so we can use these learnings to build the right product mm-hmm. uh, for these guys. Yeah. So I think that's one, one of the main outcomes uh, that we add is learning with this community to build the right product for them. Yeah. And maybe the second one is uh, allowing us to, to bring value to this community, having the opportunity to listen from uh, great speakers uh-huh. uh, that we actually learning obviously on the future of finance but yeah. also on the daily operations that uh, finance people are facing so we can learn for us yeah. in growing our company yeah i think that's a brilliant initiative really and it's growing right so you guys are seeing more and more interest in other countries it's not just french market exactly we are today we we, we have uh, the community is very active in france obviously but also in berlin yeah uh, we start having a, a, a very good community in london mm-hmm. uh, starting barcelona uh, mm-hmm. and we are going to uh, to to start meetups in three different cities over the next next quarters also amazing Europe. stuff yeah So on the growth, again, in terms of the overall headcount, the people in the team, uh, I think that was quite amazing that you guys uh, scaled the team from 20 to 120. So adding uh, 100 people in less than 12 months. So quite easy crazy. on that front. Yeah, and we're going to get to that as well later on. And I know that you are opening in the UK, you're opening in Germany, and there is uh quite an ambitious hiring plan for the UK market as well. And over 300% annual revenue growth in the UK is, is what I read up on, yes. the, on the UK press for, for startups as well, which is, which is all very impressive. Over 1,500 customers in different countries, right? So 15 different countries. Is there any specific strategy in terms of the growth expansion Are geographically the- wise? So it all comes to the ambition that we have with the company at first. And we want to be a global company and we want it to be this global company from day one. The thing is, is that in operating our product, uh, there is all the software part of what we are building, but we are also a fintech, meaning that we provide payment method to our customers. And the fintech space is a regulated space. Mm-hmm. So you cannot operate globally at first because you need to work with partners that have the right uh, regulations yeah. uh, capabilities. And at the beginning of, uh, of Spendesk, uh, we, we, partner, we partnered with payment providers that were able to operate in Europe. But with this mindset of being a global company, it means that for us, the very first market we were addressing was not the French market, but the European market. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, we are optimizing our organization for learning. How fast can we learn from our market? How fast can we learn from the pains of different finance professionals, uh, making sure that we really understand what's the specificity uh, in France, what are the specificities uh, in Germany, what are the specificities in the UK? So how we can make sure that we build a product that is going to be able to scale internationally. Mm-hmm. This was something which was super important for us since the beginning. So Since the beginning, we decided to start launching in all of the European countries to gather feedback from the first customers we get there so we can shape the right architecture in terms of product, making sure that we can build a product that scale. Once we started to accelerate 
in these different countries. We, we decided to, uh, to accelerate in three main countries. First is France, the second is Germany, the third one is the UK. And the strategy we, we had was to develop these three markets, but localizing every, uh, all the people in Paris in the headquarters, mm -hmm. which worked very well up to mm -hmm. now. Uh, however, because we continue to want to accelerate in these three markets, so scaling the team and scaling the market penetration that we can have, Uh, at some point, the bottleneck that you are facing is how oh, you can hire enough people to work on this market. And clearly, we start seeing a strong bottleneck in, making, in relocating people in Paris. So that's why we decided to open office, local offices, to grow the team there. Mm -hmm. And for example, we opened uh, this summer our office in Berlin. And the ambition that we want to have is to grow the team in Berlin to, from so <laughs> no one now to... Uh, to 30 to 50 people in the next six to eight months. Mm. So that's ambitious. And then there's the UK where you're opening as well. Exactly. Obviously, the Brexit is not helping us a uh, lot to take I the decision to and to move on that. You guys about that. You're waiting until the 31st of October and then <laughs> make the decision. <laughs> It's, ah, it's, it doesn't have on the business perspective. The problem is that we've got many customers in the UK and clearly on the, the, the principle that we have, we, we are going to serve these customers and we have a huge value for them. Yeah. So we need to bring this local presence in the UK to accelerate on the market. But the, the administrative stuff because of the Brexit makes the environment so unclear that it's not, it's not easy to take the decision and to uh, just to set up things that can change in the, the next months or, uh, mm -hmm. or next few months. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to kind of do a little bit of a kind of uh, retrospective question, maybe. When you look back at the three years so far, what are the things that you're most proud of? And also, what are the, the kind of the biggest learnings for you, maybe? So um, if we can talk about very genuinely about the failures, lessons that were really profound that you think, okay, that's worth sharing. That's what other people can learn from. <laughs> so let's start with good ones or with the bad ones. The way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's. I think that there is a lot of learning uh, in the in, in the past three years. But uh, the first thing is, it's only three years, so mm -hmm. things went uh, <laughs> things went uh, very fast. The I think there are many things we are we are, we are super proud. Of. Obviously, when we look at the results and where the company is in just three years, uh, that's kind of crazy in terms of journey. Uh, mm -hmm. Starting from a white page uh, three years ago to uh, a company with uh, more, that is serving more than 1,500 customers across Europe with 120 employees uh, that has raised uh, 45 million uh, euros since the beginning. It's a it's very intense and crazy journey. But one of the things that I would be more proud clearly is how we could build a team which is international uh, in Paris with very great talent, uh, whereas... Uh, When you start, it's the very beginning just to hire your first, your, mm -hmm. the first people that are going to join you because you've got just no employer brand, you, you, you don't have any product, so you just yeah. have an idea that you can pitch with people and uh, making sure and, uh, and trying to convince them that to, 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 to follow you in the journey you are building. In terms of learnings and challenge, I think we are, we are now facing different challenges, so things we, we didn't have the experience before. Uh, because we are switching from, you know, early stage, where you're mainly focusing on product market fit, mm -hmm. to uh, starting to scale. I don't say that we are, we are scaling. We are still a company of 120 employees. Yeah. Our hiring plan is to grow to 
300, 350 employees uh, end of 2020. For me, the real scale is when you you, you start building from 500 to 5,000 yeah. in, uh, in two years. But still, we, we, we start scaling. We start entering a new stage, which is growth. And one of the challenges that you've got in this journey is the different stage of the company you have. You know, when you are uh, very few people, less than 10 around the table, that's what we call the family stage. Uh, everyone knows them uh, very well. You've got strong relationships. You're working all together. Uh, you, 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 communication is very easy across the company. You move very fast mm -hmm. because there is no blocker when you take a decision and, and between decision execution, uh, which is really the first early stage of a company. Yeah, your team is really similar to what we socially that we call a family, yeah. right? And you almost don't need to kind of articulate any specific culture codes or values. It's exactly. Just, it just flows, right? Exactly. It's natural. Exactly. And then at some point you have to like put some uh, systems around it or just codify it a little bit. Exactly. To, to make it a little bit more articulated to others that join. So family for me is between one to 15 employees, 20-ish uh, mm -hmm. maybe. And then when you start growing a little more, you're entering a new stage. Mm -hmm which is what we call the tribe stage. Tribe stage is, uh, it's, like, it's like a tribe. So you need to have, uh, you start having a culture, uh, which is strong that you need the tribe together. Communication, you, you, you start also having uh, different social, you know, uh, relationships uh, between your tribe. Communication is not exactly the same, you, uh, uh, but still pretty fluid, pretty, uh, you have to handle a lot of complexity. And that's the moment when you, start putting the foundation of what is defining your tribe. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you start reaching 100, I would say between 80, 80 employees, uh, your tribe is starting to transform into a village. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love the names here. And uh, a, yeah. a, village, a village is different because uh, on a village, you start not knowing everyone yeah. in your village. Yeah. Depending on the size of the village, uh, you start having more complexity on the social, uh, social perspective in your village. You start having roles being needed in your village so you can, your village uh, operates well, uh, and which is a which is, uh, very inter interesting stage because on the village, you start also having tribe being in your village, right? Uh, and, and clearly, that's a change in the company. That's a change uh, also that we... With all the challenge that you have when you start growing, and to make it successful, uh, your culture needs to also evolve. But the foundations that you've built at the tribe stage needs to maintain and allow you to continue to build your village mm -hmm. stage. And then the next steps is obviously to be on the city stage, around 1,000 employees. So that's a stage yeah. we don't know yet, yeah. but it's starting to be very difficult because mm -hmm. uh, actually you you. Uh, when you start having thousands of, uh, of people being in the same city, clearly people are not knowing at all each other, have very yeah. different uh, different relationships between themselves, yeah. etc. So that's, yeah. that, that's go also going to be a challenge. But the, the stage you are on the village needs to build the foundation on when, when you are going at the, at the city stage. Yeah. And just on the example of Spendesk, how did you guys navigate that transition from tribe to village? Or earlier on as well, from, from being a family to being a tribe. <laughs> Maybe some specific, even if you have some specific cases, like some, something's happened, some event has happened, some behavior has occurred that made you think of, okay, now we need to introduce a new tool, a new system, a new solution. We need to make maybe a new hire with an HR to help us tackle this. 
So there, there is many different concrete examples. Uh, I'm trying to, to, to choose one. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but the first one, one that can be interesting, interesting to, to talk about is the routine, that communication routine that you start putting with your team. Mm -hmm. Between uh, family and tribe, uh, you don't have to have a lot of routines because communication is very easy, right? Mm -hmm. But moving from tribe to village, in the tribe tri stage, you start putting some process uh, in terms of communication that, uh, that, we, that, we, that you're going to keep. Example, the Hollands meeting. The Hollands meeting is something you don't need at a family stage. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to gather everyone and just to discuss on the perspective of the business, etc. I mean, everyone is around the table, so that's not hard. Yeah, it's just uh, all hands are at the table. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. And the communication that you are going to have, the topics you are going to discuss are going to be very detailed. Mm -hmm. When you are at the village stage, that's not the same problematic you have as a founder. The problematic you want to have is making sure that everyone is aligned on the mission, the vision of the company, and also on the main goals we want to achieve. What are the main bottlenecks we want to solve in the next, uh, in the next months or next quarter? Mm -hmm. So you start having a ritual being in place on your communication perspective, the Hollands be, being one, we've got another one, every, for example, every, every Mondays we gather the whole company just to five minutes to make a, a, a kickoff saying, okay, this mm -hmm. is what's going to happen during, uh, during this week. This is the main information we are going to share. This is the new people that are joining the village right. so they can present uh, to themselves, to the team, and you can know who they are, which are rituals that start to uh, you know, animate the life of the village and okay. contribute to the, build, uh, to, the, to, to, to the building of your culture. That's super interesting. It's both the business kind of updates, but also it's, it's an opportunity to, to meet the new people and to greet them and to make them uh, exactly. a bit better. It's, a, it's, it's, it's both on the update, so the communication and make sure that yeah. the communication flows. It's all about making sure that we are all aligned with yeah. the direction on where we are going. Mm -hmm. And because you've got uh, new people entering your village uh, every week, mm -hmm. uh, because you're growing fast, uh, they, these people don't have the same information yeah. than the, 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 the old commerce, right? Yeah. So you need to make sure that we, everyone gets all this information and get onboarded on the routines of the village. The, the, the other thing I could talk about is because you are growing super fast because your, uh, your, the, the number of people in the company is growing fast, or you make sure that you uh, bring, you know, that your, your team is, uh, is at, at the same level. What I mean mm -hmm. by same levels. One of the problems you may face, face with uh, uh, the, the, the company growing fast and having so you old commerce coming with new commerce, and you can have some groups that form in your company and different cultures evolving. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something you don't want to have because you want to have everyone that is aligned on the same direction yeah. and share the same thing and knows why they are here together yeah. to, to, to build something together. So something we put uh, in place very early on at the tribe stage uh, was uh, deciding to make two offsite per year uh -huh. where we bring the whole company uh, uh, out of the office with different things. First things, speaking about taking a, a step back on the company, what we are building, etc., but also favorizing a lot of mixing, a lot of memories being built together mm -hmm. so we can put a common referential to mm -hmm. everyone in the company. Yeah. And that's something which is super important because then everyone in your company can start to have something they can share and refer to collectively yeah. Yeah. every six months. 
So it's like if it set a, a new a new base for everyone. It's a joint experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so on the growth in terms of the people, perhaps, because uh, I was very curious to ask about your uh, journey through, from, from 20 to 120. Did you guys have um, an internal recruitment team in place? Was it all outsourced? How, what was the tool that really worked that made you be that successful in that hiring? You know, hiring is super hard. It's one of the, 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 <laughs> the, most, the, the most difficult thing uh, on, on hyper-growth environment. You may be surprised that during this stage, we didn't have a recruitment team. Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised, actually. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I always, when I work with startups, I always try to advise them, guys, you, you want to hire that first internal recruitment person, HR, you, you name it, talent, people, person. But the earlier you do it, the better for you, for your culture, for that person to build, start building out employer brand and start producing that voice to the, to the talent community, etc. But I'm not surprised that it's not in place in many, many companies. It's super hard, actually. That's not something you anticipate at first or you know it, but, uh, but uh, actually finding the right person, you've never done it before, yeah. so you don't know exactly what, what, what you're looking for. Sure. And obviously, you're, you're always late on that, um, at least we were. So, which was very surprising for us, that we grew from 20 to 120, a little less than that, because at the end, uh, just before summer, we invested and in starting to build our hiring, hiring mm -hmm. team. We were all handling the recruitment shared across the company. So, we were uh, all spending time sourcing people. Uh, Literally talking. having people, team members, doing the yes. sourcing on their own link, yes. sharing job yes. ads, etc. Yes. Okay. And uh, start making all the interviewing process, etc., mm -hmm. etc. And what worked well for us? So this was something that it's bandwidth allocation, so it's hard for the whole team. But it also worked very well because all spendeskers being involved in this process were actually the best ambassadors in terms of building the mm -hmm. brand. Uh, because it was not uh, just about, uh, you know, someone being external, pitching the company, etc. Yeah, but really, it's very authentic. Exactly. Very authentic. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but more, yeah, and more just, okay, I can share you my experience as Pendeskers of what it is to be here and to work here. And which was one of the most attractive things mm -hmm. that when we started engaging with uh, candidates, that allowed us to have a very high closing rate while maintaining also the high standards we wanted to have in terms mm -hmm. of hiring. Since then, we invested in our uh, HR uh, mm -hmm. uh, infrastructure. So first, building our hiring machine. And we've got uh, uh, Lisa that joined the company two, two, two months ago to build this team, which is doing an amazing job. Uh, and clearly, starting to... Because if we want to grow as we want to grow, clearly, uh, hiring capacity is going to be one of the bottlenecks of the company. Yeah. So we need to start building your hiring machine, which is very similar to the sales machine that we are building in terms of uh, customers acquisition. Yeah. However, you're not selling your product, you're selling your company. Yeah. Uh, uh, but your potential candidate is your customer in a way. The same yes. customer journey applies almost. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and that's something that you need to anticipate uh, mm -hmm. in the early stage as soon as you've got product market fit because yeah. people are going to be the, the asset number one in your company. So both mm -hmm. in attracting people, but obviously in terms of uh, retaining and developing people yeah. uh, and also for that you need to structure the team that is going to help your manager grow and help your team grow yeah. making sure that you, uh, you you build the right environment for people to grow. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And uh, Rod, I read a lot of good about Spender's culture, uh, just uh, work environment, very kind of good reviews in terms of the employer brand and how happy people are here. Um, do you think there are any specific features, factors of your company, of your culture that makes it a very likable environment for people to look at and to see and to think, hmm, okay, maybe I haven't heard about Spendus before, but here is X and Y and Z why I'm interested in talking to them. And then once you've got them on board, joined, you know, what makes people stay? Do you think there is something characteristic about Spendus that um, makes you a successful workplace? I think it's very hard to answer to this question because mm -hmm. uh, you know what you have, you don't know what uh, you don't have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and but as a founder of this company, I spent a lot of time since the beginning, since the session of uh, of the company, thinking on what kind of company I wanted to build. And this this brought very early on uh, a culture which is very strong uh, in the company, and that we use on most of the decision we are making. Most of the decision, but more particularly, most of the people decision we are making. Mm -hmm. We've got a culture where uh, we favor, uh, we formalized it very early on, so at the stage when we were around 15, 20 okay. employees. So just putting a formalization of what is important for us. Mm -hmm. It's not about values. Values are part of your culture. It's more about the set of beliefs that we have way of working that we have uh, exactly mm -hmm. that uh, allow us collectively, you know, to, to, to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the definition of right, you know, which is super subjective and where culture sure. is going to help you on that. Can I ask what these are? What are these principles? The, we, today, our, our culture is, is around five, five strong pillars, mm -hmm. uh, which are, are more, uh, it's more towards uh, on what we believe and also on how we want to behave. Mm -hmm. uh, the first pillar is uh, all about ambition. So mm -hmm. we formalize that big, big, uh, think big and be bold, which are, we know that we want to build something which is very impactful and we are all okay to take the risk necessary to, yeah. to get there. So to get the means of our ambitions. And, and that's, that's, that's a real uh, important thing in terms of mindset of people that need to join the company because if you don't have this driver, uh, it's going to be hard for you to adapt in an environment where things are going to change a lot and where you are totally encouraged to take risks. Yeah. Uh, the second one uh, is the actions. Uh, we believe that on the actions and decisions we are making, we really want to think on what's in for our customers in the long term or we can build uh, a culture which is very customer-centric, yeah. customer externally, so obviously our, our clients, but also the internal customers. We are all working for someone else at some points, mm -hmm. and we need to really understand how we can optimize for the long-term value for these guys. So these two first pillars are more, you know, uh, uh, visionary pillars on what's, what's gathered together mm -hmm. and make sure that the decisions we're making are guided by this. And then we've got three pillars which are more on the way we want to behave and the first thing is, as a founder, I, want, I really want to build a culture where everyone is empowered and wants to act as a founder of the company. Mm. Meaning that we want to build a culture where there is a strong ownership and making sure that we allow people to have this ownership and this sense of responsibility and accountability. Mm -hmm. And in the way we are working, it changed a lot of things. It changed that 
we, we, we try to have a very decentralized organization, mm -hmm. to have decentralized control on the organization, making sure that everyone has a very clear scope of ownership and they can mm -hmm. be the CEO of their own scope, mm -hmm. uh, which is not the natural and uh, classical organization that you can Is have. it a little bit like that Spotify model where you've got tribes and squads and it's very much problem or project based and the teams get together around the specific problem they're trying to solve at any given time? The Spotify model can be an answer to that on the product and engineering uh, yeah. squads mm -hmm. uh, uh, organization. Mm -hmm. But more than that, on your squad, mm -hmm. if you take the, the, the Spotify squad model, uh, it means that every member have a role yeah. and have a scope yeah. uh, to achieve. And if you don't clarify what's the scope of everyone, what's the role, what's, what they are decision maker on, mm -hmm. what's the interface they need to operate, Mm -hmm. uh, where they are, what they are accountable for, you start having a messy organization where actually you've got people taking the scope of other ones uh, or decision making, which is made by the people which are not accountable for this decision. That's something mm -hmm. you don't want to have. Mm -hmm. a, a, a culture where uh, you want to bring ownership to people, it's a lot of freedom for people to do what they want to do, where they bring value, but it's also a lot of responsibilities for these people towards what they've done mm -hmm. and the action they are taking. Mm -hmm. So not everyone can be an, a, a true owner. Uh, mm -hmm. When you look at entrepreneurs, actually there are not many people being entrepreneurs. Yeah. Because it's like, it, it asks you uh, a sense of accountability of what you're doing, yeah. which, is quite, uh, which is quite hard actually. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask as well, because uh, we talk a lot about empowering and creating that sense of ownership within teams, but not everyone has got this innate characteristics. Not everyone is naturally a person who is a true leader, naturally, is self-driven. Some people need a little bit more guidance or they need some more framework, right? Okay, this is, the, this is my scope and I'm just operating within that scope and I'm not that flexible, you know? Do you come across those type of people in the organization? And, and how do you manage those? Or do you just not look to hire these people. There is two different it. things. There is mm -hmm. uh, the size of the scope you want to operate in, which really depends on uh, the experience of seniority and the way you grow yeah. yourself uh, and you develop yourself to be able to manage more complexity. Basically. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fact that when uh, you don't have a lot of experience, it's going to be hard for you to, I don't know, to build a rocket to go to the moon. Uh, yeah. So yeah, very yeah. complex project, etc. So this is the first thing. And the second thing, so part of the scope, it's not, uh, so experience and personal development allow you to grow your scope of ownership and mm -hmm. influence. And the second thing is, what's the environment you want to strive in? And there are people, clearly, that don't like an environment where it's a little chaotic, where uh, uh, there is ambiguity, yeah. uh, uh, where actually they, they, it's not about micromanagement, but they need to have clear guidelines and clear yes. rules to operate with, else, else they're not going to thrive and develop themselves in mm -hmm. this environment. So there are two things in terms of uh, culture of ownership. Uh, the first one is not about uh, something which is normal in terms of personal development, making, but the second yeah. one is important for us in terms of hiring. So we need to have people which is, are at ease in this environment or where they can take decisions most of people want to be yeah. in this kind of environment where they are free to take decisions, but most importantly, when they take the responsibility and accountability of it. Mm -hmm. Another question, um, 
these are all great principles. Now, do you struggle with implementing them sometimes, given how fast you're moving? Giving, you know, I wonder if, for example, a big event such as the, the fundraising, which was so profound, and uh, all the goals and ambitions plan that you have to achieve and execute on. Has there been any challenges that you've come across in terms of how you uh, govern the teams? How do you manage and scale this culture of accountability and ownership? How do people stay on track, focused in, in, in an environment which is so changing, which, which is growing so fast? Uh, the first thing is uh, that's part of the deal. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the, uh, and people join. When, when we say there is cultural fit, that's part of the thing we, wanted, we want to test mm-hmm. for new spend discount is their ability to thrive in this kind of fast-growing environment yeah. with a lot of ambiguity where there are not a lot of process and we are okay with that. Mm-hmm. The second thing is if you want to incarnate your culture, if you want your culture to stay over time, and not culture should evolve over time, basically. It's not, yeah. it's not set in stone, yeah. right? It's yeah. uh, the, 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 the principle you build, uh, the, the core value on which your culture is founded are going to stay, um, but the way you operate this are going to evolve with, yes. the, uh, with the size of the company. But still, if you want to, your culture to be meaningful and something that, that's continue to, to be the cement across your team, mm-hmm. uh, you need to make sure that uh, it's really incarnated in the daily life of, uh, of, uh, of your teams. And the strong incarnation of cultures, for me, comes from making sure that on all your people process, the culture is, you use your culture to build this process. When mm-hmm. you're hiring people, when you're promoting or developing people, and obviously when you're firing people. If you don't fire because of your culture, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Your culture is not ma- maintaining there. If you think that people have the bad behaviors compared to collectively what you sh- think is the right things, mm-hmm. at some point it's not going to work in your work environment. Mm-hmm. So on that, I, I think it's a, a one of the main mission of the founders Mm-hmm. And then when the company grows to the representatives of the culture, to making sure that culture, cu- cultural fit is something which is maintained across the company. Mm-hmm. And by cultural fit, I'm not talking about uh, making sure that we've got just people that are uh, very similar to us. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. It's not about uh, lacking diversity or hiring clone yes. of you in the yes. company. If you do that, you're, you're losing a lot of uh, interesting things a creative way of thinking that the diversity can bring is really making sure that we all are here for we also share the, the same things yeah. exactly yeah. and we agree on this environment mm-hmm. and i think it's also interesting that sometimes even when you've got a top performer so a person who absolutely hits all the numbers and whatnot but they don't share the principles you know they show behavior which is against those values or principles you shouldn't make a compromise, even yeah. in such case, right? There is no compromise on that. Yeah. So on the pillars that we've got, there is two more which are important for us: is a, mm-hmm. a kind uh, earn trust. So be kind, and how you can earn trust from mm-hmm. every people, which is super important. How you can make available uh, from for the others. Yeah. Or you so earning trust is also about doing what you say you're going mm-hmm. to do. Uh, and the last one is uh, how you can. Are you proactively going to learn and to grow yourself? Mm-hmm. We are looking for people, and I think that's something we share together. It's very curious, and we have a strong eagerness to, to, to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on the example you're giving, you can have very smart and performance-driven people, but 
that are not trusted by the rest of the team because they just don't behave mm-hmm. uh, in the right way. They are not team players. They are yeah. not playing for the team. That's something which we not build on and that's something we should yeah. not make compromise. And I'm sorry, even if it's a strong performers, we are not going to keep these persons in the team. Uh-huh. Are there any, just to, just to sum up on this one, any specific examples for that you can think of in terms of, okay, that was such a major failure on hiring? Or, uh, or maybe conversely, this has been such a great success. You know, something that, you know, if you were to put yourself in, a sh- in, in, in the shoes of a person who's at your stage of growth and maybe looks for some examples of good practice or bad practice and, and how to learn from that, what would that be? Uh, the, for us, we didn't have a strong example of where things uh, was, were bad. That's good. Uh, no, that's that's good. But why? The, the question is why. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the, the 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 main answer to that is because very early on, on our hiring process, we structure the cultural fit interviews. Mm-hmm. So we had a that. very deep uh, cultural fit understanding. And again, it's not about uh, finding people which are similar to you. It's really on the different pillars that we formalize trying to understand if the person agrees or shared the same thing that we, we, we do. So I think the key here in your case is that you really were very thoughtful and deliberate about this very early yes. on. Because quite often I speak to folks that are like 50 plus, so not that small anymore, and they do want to hire fast. And then I ask things around uh, the, the values or just describe to me your culture. And sometimes people stop, they, they pause and they like, well, we've never thought about it because it was just flowing. But then I think the earlier on you do it, in terms of, okay, what is our DNA? What, you know, if it, kind of looking at yourself from the third party perspective almost, that's very helpful. It's super important. And I really believe that was the one thing that allowed us to go from 20 to 120 mm-hmm. without HR. Mm. Without HR. Obviously, we, are, we have some depth in terms of yeah. process, etc. But sure. we've built, because we, we, we took so much time thinking on what's the formalizing our culture uh, and uh, integrating into our hiring process, working uh, on clear onboarding paths to every new spendesker so we can mm-hmm. make sure that they are trained and they've got all uh, the, the all what they need to be yeah. uh, ramped up and effective uh, very quickly. That actually the culture that we've built with that mm-hmm. was was a real cement that allowed us to absorb these people growth mm-hmm. without facing you know strong growth crisis. Mm-hmm. Is there anything specific? Just maybe very briefly. I don't want to go too deep because that's probably another another episode in itself. But in terms of onboarding, um, retaining, and also exits when people leave, any specific tools that you guys have in place? Any specific uh, behaviors, practice? Right, for onboarding, I can go through the, the onboarding process that we've got at Spendesk. And this is something we had very early on. So we, we updated it, but the main principle and how mm-hmm. it's operating uh, is almost, uh, still almost the same. The first week, we've got uh, workshops with, uh, and, uh, it takes us a lot of time to operate, mm-hmm. but we make sure that uh, every new spend cars have exactly the same knowledge at the very beginning to understand uh, 
the main uh, assets of the company. What's, mm -hmm. our, what's our product? What's the value proposition to who we are selling? What these teams are doing? So what's, what's the sales team doing? What's the marketing team doing? What's the customer success team doing, etc. Understanding, I have a workshop about the culture that I'm uh, animating myself. Wow, I uh, love that. So you're still very much involved. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the first workshop in the company. I'm really, I'm taking every new spender's cars and telling them about the mission, the vision we are doing, what we've built so far, what was the history, the main milestones, etc. so they can understand where we come from, what the main challenge we are going to face, and what our cultures, our way to operate, our routines uh, that we have, so they can figure out uh, and start figuring out what is important for us and, uh, and what is not. And, and clearly, that's I'm also seeing every candidate uh, still, but maybe uh, uh, will not be able to do that uh, uh, at the end of the interview process. Mm -hmm. uh, really to start shaping and understanding exactly if on a cultural way we are sharing the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so that this first workshop is more a reassessment of what we discussed during this interview time. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but that's, that's something which is super important. And this first week is very well organized. It's taking a lot of time for the rest of the team, but it's one of the most important investments that we can make in Absolutely. people at first. Yeah. And then we go through uh, more functional ramp-ups, which are ramp-ups to do your job, yeah. so to take the scope of ownership uh, that you, you need to take, where you, you learn the tools, the skills, etc., that you need, to, uh, you need to have to be able to operate uh, on your scope. Uh, and again, every one of these uh, ramp-ups, so it's more a three-week uh, pro training program, mm -hmm. is very well formalized. Uh, I think we are using a tool for that, it's not so long, but it's work ramp, mm -hmm. uh, helping us really to formalize the different workshops and the different tasks mm -hmm. that uh, we need to master to uh, be able to master our job. Mm -hmm. Love that. I've got a question about the retention as well. If, in terms of performance management, how do you measure success of the employees? If there's any kind of key highlights maybe that you can think of, like that works so good at Spendesk. This is really what... Uh, in terms of people stick around. <laughs> in terms of performance management process, uh, that's something we are we are we are uh, late on. Clearly, mm -hmm. we don't have an okay. official process uh, of performance management with a tool, etc. So we are mm -hmm. starting to figure out what we need to set up. However, we have a strong follow-up uh, in terms of one-one meetings of what's working well, what's working bad. On Is the, it weekly? Alors, with manager and managers, this is a weekly one-one, okay. but also teams and their routines are using quite the agile kind of routines. So, okay. meaning that every week they've got a kickoff on what the team wants to do during the week. Yeah. And I'm talking about small teams, for example, product squad, uh, daily stand-ups of uh, the blocker works work well, etc. So people work really together towards the main outcomes they want to deliver. And at the end of the week, they are making a team retros which is what wants bad, what wants well, what we need to start doing, when we need to stop doing. Mm -hmm. So we've got continuous feedback over the performance of a team, which comes actually from the team. Mm -hmm. In terms of the exit, have you ever had any kind of learnings in terms of the people that you had to fire, perhaps, or the people that left themselves? I'm not sure whether you conduct kind of the, the, the formal, typical exit interviews, or do you have other ways of you know, measuring that satisfaction at the end of the journey of a person who's leaving the door. For the moment, we don't have a lot of, uh, we didn't have a lot of voluntary departure. I think that's because we are young also, so it helps. Yes, yes. But when it happened, it was, uh, 
most of the time for a very good reason. Either it was a personal reason. Mm-hmm. I've got other priorities in my life right now, so that's something I, I, yeah. I, I want to change. In terms of firing, most of the time when we fired, uh, we fired fast. Mm-hmm. Meaning it was more a miss higher. Than it. So sometimes you can have all uh, in your net, uh, even of your interview process, which is very thorough. Uh, but still, uh, so when it happens, uh, you, you, you know very, very fast. And for mm-hmm. us, uh, uh, most of the fire are during, I don't know, the first, uh, first months uh, after, joining the, uh, after joining the company. And it's not a question of bad performance, it's more a question of bad cultural fit. Right, right. So assessing the happiness of people, uh, uh, for example, for people leaving the company, one of the good indicators that we have is people who left the company that recommend the company to their, to their friends. Absolutely. That's, that's a no-brainer. I think that the word of mouth is the best marketing you can get. But for people that left the company, which is more, uh, yes. even more valuable than yes. the Yes, absolutely. And congrats on that. That's, I think that's, that's quite outstanding, really. Now, as you're going into the, the new phase, opening new offices, so... There's, is there anything in particular that you're concerned about, keeps you up at night, <laughs> can be related to, oh my God, we have to hire 100 people in the UK, how are we going to do it? Or any, any other concerns that a person in your shoes at this stage of growth has as a founder, as a CEO? <laughs> <laughs> and if the list goes that long, we can make another episode about it. <laughs> yeah, the, li- the list can be pretty long, but... Uh... I think we talk about one, which is culture, which is super important. Is mm-hmm. how, and that's, that's a challenge where I don't have all the answers saying, okay, how we can grow as fast as we can while maintaining of our culture. Mm-hmm. And I, I, we already discussed on some points where we are focusing on, uh, on that. I think the other one is clearly a strong bottleneck, but uh, it's also I think at every level. So the difficulties we are facing right now is first, we want to develop, we are developing very fast internationally. We need to accelerate local talent and increase the talent pools to be able to accelerate in terms of growth. The difficulty that you are having is even if you are building your employer brand in your own country, saying you are a global company, that's something, but it also you can build a global employer brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it's uh, the challenge you, you, you're facing is what, what infrastructure, what team, what organization do you build uh, and put in place so you can be... Uh, super attractive on a global mm-hmm. level. And that's something we, we start thinking on quite early on, actually, because uh, it's one of the success that we've got today. Is 30% of the company is international today, which is quite rare. Uh, I think that's quite high. And, and for France as well, for, for the and French for market. France, yeah. uh, for the French market, uh, meaning that we look for talent in a global talent pool and mm-hmm. relocated people in Paris to come to work with, uh, with us mm-hmm. and enabling them that while you're small uh, was hard. And we tried to figure out how we can, what worked on that, uh, how we could build something that facilitated the integration of this international talent. Mm-hmm. And on that, we invested in uh, many different things, relocations package, for example, right. uh, but also making sure that the English was the main language in the company. So I think that that's such a big one. So sometimes you work with companies that say that, yeah, we do speak English, but then no, we really don't. 
<laughs> and that's both in, in, in I think in, in Paris, but in Germany as well. Some, sometimes because it's just more natural if 90% of the team is German or is French. But I think you have to just be disciplined about it at certain stage because that person coming from the US <laughs> will just feel really awkward. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's super hard because uh, when you are just French in the company, so Obviously, for English people, that seems a problem. But when you're yeah, not uh, yeah. uh, uh, English native uh, people, when we had uh, 10 French people in the company at the beginning, mm -hmm. we started to have all our communication, all and written in English, which was super weird mm. because uh, in group or in meetings, we were talking in English uh, instead of French. And sometimes we were thinking ourselves, why, why you are doing that? But once we had the first international person uh -huh. coming in the team, made a lot of sense it was fluid yeah. it was easy uh, and it's just then integrate. people just get used to it exactly yeah. exactly mm -hmm. um, right. so that's that's one but to, to go back to your question of what keeping me uh, up at night up yeah. at night <laughs> Uh, I oh, think, I hope you're sleeping well, really. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's the one. It's really uh, what organization I need to build mm -hmm. so we can uh, successfully go to the next stage. And clearly, when you are an early founder, you're more building a product yeah. and now you're transitioning into... Uh, yeah, your product being... Actually, you're still being a product, but your product is your company. Is, is there a shift in thinking also in terms of the business, the revenue, profitability? Is that when this starts to come in, I guess there's the investors and, and their expectations as well from... It really depends. Uh, my thought on that is really depends on your business mm -hmm. and the, the level you want to grow. Yeah. So for us, it's particular because we are uh, uh, between fintech and SaaS. So yeah. we are on a SaaS business model. We know uh, how we can invest in that this kind of business model are really uh, focus on investing on growth because mm -hmm. it's, a you know, it's a recurring business model. Yeah. So for us, it's not, clearly it's not about profitab profitability. That's not the challenge that our investors are going to ask us. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what we, with the ambition that we've got, it's more about how we can grow and how fast can we grow, making sure that obviously the unit economics of the business yes. are working. Yeah. Okay. So I would not say for the moment, and again, uh, it really depends on how the company is doing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if uh, you eat your numbers uh, every month and every quarter, that's not something you are uh, awake at night. It's when you start having uh, yeah, yeah, not yeah. eating your numbers that you start having a lot of thoughts on uh, what's happening and how you can reduce the bottlenecks. Yeah. Uh, so for us, we are luckily enough uh, for now that uh, the, the growth of the company is very impressive and we, we, we are eating our numbers. Uh, so that's that's not the main uh, the, the the main thing that's uh, yeah. keep me keep me awake at night. Great to hear. Um, and Rod, you also made some senior hires. Kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit. For example, the the, the CFO. You made some, I think, other quite senior hires to the team as well. Any advice on that one? Because sometimes when I work with with founders uh, with uh, key execs, sometimes they do struggle a little bit with with on with accepting that they need uh, a person who's perhaps a bit more senior than them in certain respects, who has more, maybe more mature track record, maybe a person who comes from a bit larger organization. And sometimes it's a conversation of, we, we know we need that person, but then actually accepting that reality and then just getting on with that person and integrating that person to the team. That's, I, I, I feel that some, some, some people are quite anxious to make that first senior hire and how that's going to work with a team which is so young and wonder what your experience on that is, if, 
There's nothing you can share. The first thing is that it is super hard. Mm -hmm. It is super hard, and I think it's harder when you are you have founders that never scaled a business, mm -hmm. so they don't totally aware of what kind of profile do they need mm -hmm. uh, uh, at the different stage of the company. The second thing is that when when you are growing your company, you need leverage. That's a fact. It's, mm -hmm. uh, if you don't have leverage, you're not going to scale yourself. So, uh, and the thing is to keep in mind is that you are going to grow linearly. If you're good, if you're proactive, if you're learning fast, you are going to have a steep curve, but still it's going to be linear. Whereas the complexity of your company is going to grow exponentially. Mm -hmm. And linear with exponential, no, uh, that's not something that works. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you don't want to be outgrown by your company, and that's super important because when you start being outgrown by your company, you will, first, you're going to burn, uh, but <laughs> more, uh, more importantly, you start to lose control and your answer is going to put some constraints which are going to prevent the growth and the, the creativity that you've got in your company. Mm -hmm. So from the fact that you're growing linearly and the company is growing uh, exponentially, it means that you need to have leverage at some point and you need to bring executive in your team so you can give them part of the business and you can focus on, uh, on other ones. So we all know that it's necessary. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. the difficult part is what kind of people uh, for the stage of the company I am. Because mm -hmm. you start learning when you meet with different executives that actually there are different stages of executive. Yes. You've got executive people that needs to be there. For example, when your company, you need to prepare your IPO, right? Mm -hmm. But if you bring these people too early in your company, it's going to be well, difficult be for them. Much, yeah. Mm -hmm. That would be a mismatch because what they know, where they know to operate is uh, operating an organization with a certain structure. Mm -hmm. We've got, got a certain support from different teams, but without this support, they never build this kind of teams and are too far now to yeah. be able to operate these yeah. things. So uh, it's going to be hard because it's basically you're hiring people which are too high that can handle high complexity, but the complexity of company is mm -hmm. not there yet. So these people are not going to grow and actually they are going to put process in place which are too early for your company. So this being said, the difficulty that you are facing is, okay, uh, but then what's the level of the ex executive do I need uh, mm -hmm. right now? My conclusion on that is to try to hire for the next 15 months. Mm -hmm. Okay? So it means that you need to plan what your organization is going to look like in 15 to 18 months from mm -hmm. now. And you want to have people that at least have managed the, the target organization that you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who has scaled from one to 10 mil or exactly, more, or exactly. other metrics. If you, for example, for us, if I was hiring today someone uh, who has scaled a company from 1,000 to 5,000, mm -hmm. it's going to be a mismatch yes. if they don't have the experience of the 100, 500. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, that's, that's just going to be a person who I think will burn out very quickly and just won't necessarily live up to the, to the role. But on the other hand, sometimes um, I think there are candidates who are more senior, perhaps less obvious of a fit, but do have capability to be hands-on. They maybe have done something entrepreneurial within a larger organization, has, have built something from scratch uh, as an intrapreneur. But sometimes these people are not necessarily very welcomed by startup founders because there is that, mm, really? I'm not, it's I'm very corporate, there, right? or we don't know, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that's that's another one, and I, I, I must confess, I uh, I understand why. Though. I understand yeah. exactly yeah. why. The three the things I'm trying to focus on is uh, for sen for more senior people is the envy, mm -hmm. the envy they've got uh, uh, of mm -hmm. starting a new adventure, etc., and understanding the consequences that is going to be on their uh, on their daily life. Mm -hmm. It's important because uh, on part of our careers and part of the We've got different growth stages uh, yeah. personally at this uh, on our career, but you need to have uh, for the senior one. Uh, you need to make sure that it's still a moment in their career where they've got an envy to build something. You mean drive, energy, yes. kind of yes. hunger. Yes, yeah. mm -hmm. yes, mm -hmm. because it's yeah. going to ask a lot, and you, as sure. a founder, you're going to ask a lot. Yeah, so it's going to be intense, etc. So they don't want you don't. And you need to have this very open discussion with the person Absolutely. to trying to understand the, the drive they are having. Uh, uh, exactly, because if there, it's a moment of their life that uh, want to be more in the comfort zone, etc., that's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. I think as a founder making those hires, you need to have as clear expectations of what's the delivered output of this role is in, as you say, 12, 18 months. Sometimes you don't need, you don't have these metrics though, so sometimes it's a bit tricky. Because you don't have exact goals, if it's a. You should have at least you, eighteen you months. Have, at least I have a, vi a vision of where you want to end up. Because if you don't, Sometimes at least if you don't have a goal of where you want to be, it's going to be up to sure. be so at least somewhere. I guess what I'm saying is just sometimes it's it's it's. Uh, it's more structured, there are hard figures put on that, and sometimes it's less, and it depends. But I think to your point is that uh, the founder, the, the hiring manager, has to have that self-awareness of where the company is today, what that high-level achievement to be made, and then the cultural aspect on, on the hiring, the expectations, the motivation of the candidate are super important, and making a hire maybe not just for today, but yes. two or three steps forward. Yes, in 18 months, yeah. uh, it really depends on the rate yeah. of growth. But if you're on a, a growth 18 months, because 18 months, the company is going to be very different than the one you've Absolutely. got today. Right? Yeah. So you need to anticipate that. Mm -hmm. So drive is the first one. And then obviously it's fit, personal fit. Uh, mm -hmm. If it's hard for you to, I don't know, invite this person for dinners and spend uh, three hours uh, with them, it's going to be difficult for you to. Yeah. Uh, and it's not a question of age. Uh -huh. It's a question of personal fit in the end. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Rod, finally, because I, I don't want to keep you too long, uh, do you have a few more minutes? Yes. Yeah? Okay. Um, so I wanted to really talk about you as, as the founder and as, as a headhunter, you know, I am doing a lot of stalking on people. <laughs> so um, uh, I, I've researched that. I mean, I don't know whether there is such thing as a typical biography of a founder, but your educational background is in um, electrical engineering, physics, right? So not necessarily... I'm curious about you kind of 10 years ago when you were starting your career. Um, I think you've done some consulting work. Then uh, you went on to actually build uh, your first startup, right? That was ultimately sold to the Soul Local Group after five years. So you, you show that kind of very entrepreneurial trait. And what is it that, that pushed you to that direction? Why not pick a job in management consulting, then go to corporate and have a peaceful life for the rest of your life? Is there anything in your makeup, in your kind of character that made you go down that path and then also that made you successful so far as you are? <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good question. Uh, and that's something actually I, I thought about myself a, a couple of years ago on the, mm -hmm. 
uh, what I am doing, what I do, and making sure that I was doing the right thing. And actually, I found out that um, there would not be any other job where I would be more happy than the, the one I'm doing today. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, the <laughs> that's the best sign ever. So maybe, maybe in terms of background, clearly I'm an engineer. Uh, I graduated as an engineer, uh, and I made a few internships when I was at school, but... Uh, My real first job was uh, starting my first business uh, just after school, basically. I think one of the drivers I have is uh, I love solving problems. Uh, uh -huh. That's my engineer part. Uh, I love uh, figuring out solution and seeing the impact of what I've built uh, as a solution. The second thing in my character that may also allow me to survive in this very difficult job, that being a, a founder, it, uh, that's something we need to I emphasize when I've got, uh, uh, you know, young graduates saying, hey, I want to start my business, etc. Mm -hmm. I really encourage them to do so, but I also give them the whole perspective, the, the, the also the dark side of being a founder. This is a very difficult, it's one of the most difficult jobs that we can have because it's super intense all the time. Uh, but uh, so you need to, to, to like this. Uh, the, the, the second trait maybe of my character is that I'm someone which is super tenacious. I'm uh -huh. someone or when uh, things are not working, I'm, uh, I'm going to double down on uh, trying to figure out what's not working and I'm not uh, letting things uh, up. and not giving up. Yeah. The grit, that kind of, uh, yeah, very much like grinding away and um, having that tenacity, as you say, that uh, perseverance. So, yeah, but most of the time, it's, uh, it, you can also be a little stubborn on things, but I think that's uh, uh -huh. something I need to yeah. have. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to have because. Uh, You know, when you start a business, and most particularly in innovation, you always, uh, most of the time, everyone around you are going to tell you that's, that's not a good idea. Yeah. Naysayers and skeptics and everyone around. That's like, normal. Why would you do that? That's normal. Exactly. So if we don't have the core believing on what you're doing mm -hmm. uh, and the will to prove that what's the solution you, you, you start to build are the right one to solve a problem, It's very easy to, to, to give up and to, yeah. to let down. So I would say that's one, that's one of my character traits that make me actually really yeah. like what I'm doing. And uh, do it for the right reasons, and as you do it for, Exactly. Know your why. And, exactly. Yeah. I love that. Um, and just, and that's, that's going to be the last one, I promise. So the mental health, I'm not sure whether that's like a big thing uh, in, in your company. I know that more and more companies introduce some policies to, to kind of promote well-being, just whether that's just physical fitness, which also influence, I think, your mental capacity or doing something to just like, you know, keep your balance. Um, and as a founder, especially as you said, it's a super tough job and it's, there's no job description. There's no nine to five. It's a little bit like your baby, I imagine. Uh, it is for me anyway with my company. So I appreciate there, is, they can, there can be highs and lows. Do you have uh, any routines or any, any things that you do to kind of keep you grounded, keep you calm, focused, not to get too low or too excited, just keep that level of emotional stability <laughs> <laughs> when things go south sometimes? <laughs> or maybe you don't experience any of that at all. <laughs> uh, this is our This is hard, and I think uh, also I'm much more calm now than I was when, with my first company. So also mm -hmm. experience of what you're seeing uh, brings yeah. you some, uh, you know. I, I often, actually, that's, uh, yeah, uh, 
that's an analogy I, I often saying, saying oh, entrepreneurship is a, sorry for the mathematical analogy, <laughs> but uh, it's, a, it, it's a, a sinusoid of high amplitude and mm -hmm. uh, very high frequency. And the more, uh, so you've got a lot of up and downs and uh, going, uh, going, going very fast. And being there since, I mean, I've been quite an entrepreneur since the beginning of my career. Mm -hmm. So experience uh, will lower the amplitude. You still have the frequency, but will lower the amplitude. Mm -hmm. So it helps. But more on the concrete things and uh, what I do to try to, to, to keep, um, I mean, what we are doing is, is clearly a marathon. Uh, if, uh, if you don't want to burn yourself, uh, yeah. you know, running too fast, too, too early. Uh, yeah, I, I love that, yeah. Different things, actually, on my side, I need routine a lot. Mm -hmm. So I'm uh, very disciplined on my agenda. I build routine on things that I need to do. For example, mm -hmm. I'm not checking uh, my emails every day. I'm checking emails thrice a week. Uh, a week uh, really? I'm cleaning my inbox. Wow. Uh, so I'm trying to be very, very disciplined mm -hmm. on my agenda, uh, getting slots where I need to work, slots where I'm available for meeting, slots when I want to document or mm -hmm. to read about something on a topic, to start thinking on the process. Yeah. And without these routines, it would be very hard to, to maintain that. So uh -huh. that's hard. I love that. Because you need to set up, but the most difficult thing is to stick to it. Uh -huh. uh, but you need discipline is key. Yeah. Uh, discipline yeah. is key. Discipline is key if you want to keep time for your other things, for the things you also like to do in life, for your family, etc. Mm -hmm. And if you don't stick to this time, uh, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'm more, uh, I find more difficult to, to do is even if I've got this discipline in my routines, uh, sometimes I'm I'm present uh, in something, but I'm not there in my head. For example, I'm playing with my kids, but I'm thinking about, about car, yeah, about work, maybe. exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's clearly something I'm working right now because yeah. uh, uh, I really believe that if I'm doing something, I need to be 100% on it, yeah. uh, else it's not effective, I am losing my time. So uh, trying to, yeah, to, to make sure that when, uh, and it's part of my routine, so I'm, yeah, it seems, no, it seems to be very structured, but uh, yeah. but uh, when I'm uh, when I'm on a particular task, that being task being pleasure, or being work, or mm -hmm. being uh, different things, to to really be at hundred uh, percent on this task. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I hear that a lot, and that uh, structure and the framework, the routine, I think is super important as well because it gives you you can create that slot for like creativity, for example, right? Exactly. You, you're not on your mailbox, you're not being like reactive to stuff no. but okay this is time for for myself whether that's you know me time for my own mental health or whether that's time for my creative stuff on work on products whatever that might be or home but just really having that i think people get distracted so easily these days and that's such a pain and it really impacts your productivity in whatever more particularly yeah we've got uh, all the communication tools that we've yeah, got if we crazy. are you know if we are, i'm checking slack every five minutes and so to people in my team uh, I will not produce anything at, before the end of the day. So mm -hmm. clearly, I'm trying to get my uh, time slot where I know I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems a, a little uh, rigorous, but for me, that's something which is, uh, yeah, that's that I, I could not achieve what I'm achieving without that. I love that. Perfect. Well, that's been a great pleasure. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Me too. Thank you very much. <laughs> an hour and a half of your life. But uh, I think a lot of great learnings for everyone who's going to be listening. And I hope we're going to have one or two people tuning in. So, um, yeah, thank you for sharing. It's, um, 
I think, you know, my idea for this podcast really is to create a platform where uh, we can share kind of very realistic, real life examples, experiences that, you know, both founders, candidates can benefit from. So, uh, yeah, wish you all the best with, with the growth at Spendesk. Looking forward to seeing, seeing you guys as well in London once you opened. And, and yeah, all the, all the very great success. Thank you, Aneda. <laughs> and yeah, hope our, our paths will cr uh, cross as well. If at any point you need support uh, for some other hires in the future, I'm, I'm, I'm always there. So. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't help myself <laughs> saying that. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys, for tuning in. Thank you so much for choosing to tune in and listening to the end of this episode of Key Hire Podcast. We're super excited to be building this community and a platform where we can exchange and share knowledge in a credible, digestible, insightful and actionable way. So leave us some comments. Let us know what we should improve and work on. We want to make sure that we improve the value every single time. Finally, if you liked what you've been hearing so far, give us a follow and subscribe across all of the platforms of your choice. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify and more. We're looking forward to be building out the community. We're looking forward to be bringing you new, exciting interviews. Let us know if there is anyone in particular you would like us to host or any specific topics you'd like us to cover. We are looking forward to hearing from you. And I can't wait to be sharing the next episode with you very soon. Thank you.